This is Tony Thomason. Today is Monday, November 9th, 2015. Today I'm interviewing for the first time architect Evan Taniguchi. This interview will focus on Evan's father, architect Alan Taniguchi. The interview is taking place at the offices of Taniguchi Architects located at 1609 West 6th Street in Austin, Texas. This interview is being done for the Austin History Center and it's one of a series of interviews with and about Austin Travis County architects. Hello, Evan. Hello, Tony. Let's begin by having you tell me uh, your full name and when and where you were born. Then tell me your father's full name and when and where he was born. My full name is Evan Taniguchi. I was born in Harlingen, Texas in 1952. My father's full name was Alan Yamato Taniguchi. He was born in Brentwood, California in 1922. Okay. Tell me about Alan's early years, uh, where he lived growing up, where he went to school. Well, as you know, he grew up in California. He was born in Brentwood. His father was a farmer, so they grew up on a farm um, until he was actually uh, 18 or so. Or he was shipped off to uh, internment camps because of 19 because of World War II, and I believe it was 1941 or 1942. But uh, he grew up there on the farm. He kind of worked on the farm. He went to a small elementary school in Brentwood. I think there was about 20 people in his class. Um, when he graduated from high school, he actually enrolled at uh, University of California at Berkeley. At that time, University of California was the only one. There was no Berkeley or no this mm -hmm. and that. Um, so that's kind of his early years. Did you want more detail than that? Well, did the, did the war start before he finished college? Or did he go to college after? He went to college. Uh, he was in college when the war broke out, actually. So he came back his freshman year when they found out they were going to be interned. He came back because they had actually taken my grandfather off to a prison, to, to jail, mm -hmm. and my dad had to come back, so he was kind of the man of the family uh, at that time, so he had to help my, my uncle, his younger brother, and my mother get their stuff together so they could get relocated. I see. So when did he finish his college? Well, he was lucky that during the war, when he was interned in Crystal City, Texas, um, the Quakers in Detroit actually adopted him. They had a program where they could adopt some of the, uh, the Niseis, the mm -hmm. Japanese Americans who were in the camps. So he was able to work in Detroit while he was going to the University of Detroit. And he was able to get some of his, his electives out of the way at that time. Wow. They didn't have an architecture school there, but at least he could take some of the courses mm -hmm. that would transfer back to Cal. So he graduated after the war. I think it was 19... 49 was when he finally graduated. I think the war was over in 45 or 46. Mm -hmm. So he went back to school after the war, finished his three years, and I think that was 1949 by the time he did uh, graduate. Okay. Do you remember Alan ever saying when it was he knew he wanted to be an architect? Uh, no, he never did really mention that. I know that he started out at Berkeley. Uh, he was going to register in engineering because that's what my grandfather wanted him to do. Back in those days, I mean, there weren't a whole lot of Japanese Americans that were going to college. So grandpa thought that engineering would be 
you know, uh, the most kind of the most rewarding financially as well as however else. Because architecture, I don't think our family really knew what architecture was at that time. Be, you know, being on a farm all that time, sure. they didn't have much exposure to buildings and that kind of stuff. So I think that first year that Alan was at Berkeley, he, I think he met somebody who kind of uh, showed him the ropes about architecture. And I think Alan was a lot more uh, leaning towards the creativity there. Um, I've never heard him talk about art or anything about drawing when he was growing up. Mm -hmm. I think it was mainly hard work that he did. So I think when he went to college, he finally put two and two together and said, hey, there's another world, a creative world out there. And I think that's kind of what uh, drove him towards architecture over engineering. Mm -hmm. So you don't know who that person was that might have encouraged him, huh? No, I don't, but I do know that one of his good friends in college, and I know you were going to ask me about professors who might have made a difference. I, I've never heard any names like that, but one of his classmates was Gil Obata, which is, you know, H-O-K, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so they kind of went to school together, and I think maybe Gil had more of a artistic background, and when they were friends, I think maybe he inspired Alan uh, to go towards architecture. Oh, okay. Let's see, so we talked about where he went to architecture school. Um, you're not aware of any instructors or professors that were particularly... No, there, there was so much going on in the family. I mean, World War oh. II at that time and the internment, that kind of put a big dent in the whole, uh, the whole structure of the family. Sure. So he never really talked too much about the college because he, he talked more about the, the trials and tribulations of the World War II mm -hmm. deal. So. Well, tell me about his work history, like where he went after he graduated. Well, that's pretty interesting because um, actually I'm working with one of the firms he actually first started with in 1949, I told you, graduated mm -hmm. from Cal. He started working at Anshin and Allen in San Francisco. And his first project, or maybe the only project he worked on there was he was the drafts person for the Eichler Homes. And the Eichler Homes are very famous now. Back then, Eichler was one of the first developers of suburban housing. But his houses were very architecturally significant. Now they're like collector's car. You can't even touch them for a million dollars. But people used to call them shoe boxes because they were kind of these glass boxes um, that had minimal uh, decoration on them. Mm -hmm. You know, they had court floors, they had radiant heating in the floors, they were very much ahead of their time. And I think that's where Alan picked up a lot of his ideas was being the drafts person for these homes because the house he built for us in Harlingen, Texas was a, just a split, I mean a split yeah. image of a uh, of a Eichler home. So I know he worked there for from 1949 to 51. In 1951 is the year he moved to uh, Texas uh, because my great my grandparents, his parents, couldn't get the farm started again. You know, they were very successful farmers before mm -hmm. the war, but when they came back after five years, everything was so much different. It, they couldn't get uh, restarted. Everything was so much more expensive. So that's when they decided they were going to go to Texas because that was kind of a land of opportunity because things were really starting in the Rio Grande Valley at that time. So Alan and my mother uh, actually moved my grandparents down there 
thinking that they were going to come back to San Francisco, thinking they were going to come back to work at Anchin and Allen, and they got stuck down there and they never left the valley until wow. they came to Austin. And when did they build that house? Down they built the house in 1952 while I was being born. I was just, I was born in 52. Mm -hmm. The house was finished in 53. But before our house, he built the house for my grandfather. And it's a really nice, I mean, it's very kind of California looking, very modern for being in Texas at that time. And are those houses still there? They're still there. Well, our house has uh, been remodeled. They put a Dutch roof on it or something like that where it had a flat roof, you know, it looked like a box. Uh, Grandpa's house is still there and still looks really nice. A, a lot of the houses down there in the valley that Alan uh, designed, now they're kind of like Eichler homes. They're, very, they're collector's items and they're selling like for millions of dollars down there. That Everybody wants to have a tiny Gucci house or a John York house. Wow. John York was another famous architect who moved down to the valley and started the mid-century modern kind of mm -hmm. style. So between the, those two, their houses, you can't even, you know, yeah, you have to get in line for them. They're like collector's cars. So when Alan got down there, he just went to work for himself? <laughs> yeah, he did. He did? He did. That he was got great. A car. And huh? I'm not sure how he, he never told me how he got his first project, you know, because knowing Alan, you know, he, he was a really quiet guy. And I, I've always had a, I've always tried to figure out how he got started because to me, he was always very quiet and yeah. not a real business person. So it kind of surprises me that he got, he went down there and he opened up his own practice and he became very successful down in the mm -hmm. valley. And I think that's what got him up to Austin, which we'll talk about later, you know, because the University of Texas kind of recruited him. Uh, and that's the reason we moved to Austin from the Harlingen. But mm -hmm. he had a very successful practice going on down there. I think he won like four uh, TSA awards in one year or three in one year. He was really into this. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the concrete buildings that yes. he was doing? The, those um, parabolic uh, roofs mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, folded plate roofs. He was really uh, on a roll with that, with that style. Mm -hmm. And in fact, he studied. He went and studied under Felix Candela. He didn't study with him, but he consulted with Felix Candela. And O'Neill Ford was also doing some of that stuff at the time for TI. So Alan and O'Neill became very good friends at that time because they were kind of both uh, interested in this concrete uh, technology. Mm -hmm. So. That's cool. Did he? So he must yeah. have done things other than just residential. Oh yeah, he really got into the more institutional. Uh, one of my favorite projects. Did you ever see the packing shed that he did? Yes. It's called the House of Morose. It had a roof kind of like this. Mm -hmm. Really cool. It had bright colors, you know, primary colors. It was very industrial looking at that time. Mm -hmm. But um, it's still very um, popular. A lot of people still remember that building and call me about it. And then the, the building he did at the King Ranch, it was called the um, uh, Flato Pavilion. And it looked like a mushroom, but it was where they would have their cattle auctions. And that won a couple of awards, but then they ended up tearing it down about 12 years ago. And I wasn't contacted, but yeah. That's too bad. Uh, well, you mentioned your mom, Leslie. Mm -hmm. What role did, you know, how important was her role in the firm and what was her role? As I knew her, she was very involved. Yeah, well, you remember, <laughs> she was involved. Was she I wasn't sure if she, she was more involved or got in the way 
you know, because she'd always just, uh, her and Alan always had this thing. She thought that Alan was the worst businessman in the world, and she thought she was going to come to the office and save us, but uh, sometimes she'd come over here and just kind of get in the way. I mean, we were terrible business people back in those days, and you, know, you were here a lot of that time. I'm, I'm surprised we even survived. But Leslie, Leslie would be here to make sure Alan wasn't giving all of his time away, right? And, you know, she was really involved in politics, too. So sure. she, would, she would do a lot of her political work here from the office. But um, she, her heart was in the right place. I mean, she was really involved in, she loved real estate. And she bought my house for me. She bought their house. She bought this office, you know. She looked, she, she was, uh, she looked ahead enough to know that these properties would be great investments. And sure enough, they did turn out to be, you know, yeah. wonderful. And she always picked the right location. And uh, she, she had a good eye for that. And of course, she was very stylish and she loved to cook. She loved to have parties. So, she was a good party uh, she, person. She, she, was, yeah, she, was a good, she was good for Alan. They were very different yeah. in their ways, but they were both so oppositely different that they kind of uh, helped each other out, I think. I saw them as a good match, I thought, well, yeah, from my she, perspective as an employee. Yeah, Leslie would get frustrated with Alan a lot, yeah. It was like I said, you know, Alan would do so much, uh, kind of like me, he did try to do so much for other people, but sometimes he lost sight of the business, and the mm -hmm. business was kind of secondary. But you know, back in those days, we had, what, five or six employees? Or That was probably before you came on board, but at one time, no, it was after you left. Yeah. After you left, yeah, when we were doing the embassy building and all that, we had six or seven or eight people here, and guys, we were wondering how, how we we're going to take care of them all the way Alan was, business-wise. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Did she ever want Alan to design them a house here, or she was? I know you. Uh, they bought it. This is not on our list of questions. That's okay. I'm curious. Yeah, no, no. Well, I think I think she learned from. Um, no, she was never interested in living in a in a architecturally designed house. She liked the house that she had picked out over in Pemberton, and um, um, because she learned her lesson in the valley. Of course, Alan, you know, Alan brought this California style to the valley, but the valley was about twenty degrees hotter every day than it was. We hardly had air conditioning. He had this. We had this really nice house that had glass everywhere. But it would heat up so much. You no, know, I just killed my mother. She said, "Why, why do we have so many windows? And you know, why, why do you do this, that, and the other?" So she, she had enough of living in one of his designed houses. Oh, that was a. There were a lot of arguments about that too. And I'm curious, you know, from working with y'all those few years, I remember the houses here that were done with that kind of flooring system. Mm -hmm. Two by four on edge, the laminated floor system. Yes. Uh -huh. When did that come about? Was that something he incorporated once he got here? You know, that's a good question because he just loved that two by four technology. But I know it didn't have to do with Eichler homes because they were all on concrete radiant heated slabs. So, you know, it's kind of like the, I think it's the Sea Ranch kind of that technology there. I think the Sea Ranch was built kind of on that post and being look mm -hmm. where you could have the laminated floors. Uh, but, you know, I really don't know where, where yeah, all that, that fit in because he did that house here for uh, Vincent Mariani. Right. And it won a couple of awards too. Out mm -hmm. It was one of the first houses in Westlake. You know, back, that was back when Westlake was just all cedar trees. But 
it incorporated that technology and he used it a couple of other places here in Austin but you know I really don't know what that evolved from it seemed very suited to our yeah it did but, but I, th I thought maybe you'd know more about it but I don't know where yeah. he came up no. with that idea okay so um, tell me about what year you moved to Austin and about what precipitated that whole transition to UT. Okay, well, we didn't move here till 63. Alan moved here in 1959. Oh, so okay. he, he commuted between here and Harlingen. He lived in a little uh, garage apartment on Leon behind Blake Alexander. I think Blake owned the garage apartment, so the, he used to live in the garage apartment. So when we come visit Alan, we'd always go up and see Blake, and Blake would be playing on his harpsichord. And, you know, that, he was, Blake was one of the first people we knew in Austin. He was a great guy. But um, Alan was teaching here, uh, and he wasn't sure he was going to stay here teaching, you know. Mm -hmm. So he commuted so we didn't have to just kind of move up here and then maybe move back. But it turned out he liked it so much, we came in 63 to join it. In between that time, he uh, took a little uh, leave of absence, I don't know if you know this, from um, university, and we went to Washington, D.C. to work for uh, oh. Brooks Bar, Graver, and White. So Alan was one of the architects on the labor building. Uh, Brooks Bar, Graver, and White were very close to LBJ, so they used to get all those federal jobs, mm -hmm. right? So um, it was kind of lucky that I got to see that. We got to move to Washington, D.C. for the summer, and I got to go visit the office every day where he was working with the Brooks Bar guys, Kirby Cahey, I think you might know him, mm -hmm. some of those guys from back then, who became, later became 3DI. But then he came back, and that's when he became a professor. I think he came back from Washington, D.C. in 1961 or two, and then that's when he decided he was going to stay. Since he was a professor, he had tenure, so that's when we moved here to be with him. And I think in 68, he became the dean. And he was the dean while you were there. So he, mm -hmm. I think he was dean from 68 to 72. But the thing that I've always wanted, just like I have a lot of questions myself, is that, you know, he, he had such momentum going as a practicing architect in the Valley. When, when he moved up here in 1959 or 60, like I said, he won all these awards in a row, you know. And here he had all this momentum, and for him to switch from that to academia kind of threw me off. And I wasn't exactly sure what motivated him because um, deep down inside, I think he could have really done something, you know, with his practice. I mean, he did okay, but he, he, there was a big lull in there, 10 years that he was at the University of Texas, you know, and he was mm -hmm. at Rice, so he couldn't spend a lot of his time on, with his practice at that time. So. I just always wonder what would have happened, you know, if he had uh, foregone academia. Do you think he enjoyed his time at UT and Rice? Well, I do think he did. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, but it just it just kind of seems odd that somebody that doesn't have an academic background at all kind of jumps into it and all of a sudden gets engulfed in it mm -hmm. all and enthralled in it, you know. And um, when when he had such a you know such momentum going. Who as was far it? as a designer. Who was it, do you think, at UT that finally convinced him that he needed to come to Austin? Do you know? No, I don't. You know, that's a good question, too, because there was a lot of politics going on in the School of Architecture after he got here. 
and they were, you know, I'm sure somebody might hear this and disagree, but Phil Creer, who was the dean at that time, uh, he wasn't liked by the students very much. So as soon as Alan got here, Alan was a very uh, popular teacher, even before mm -hmm. he became dean. I can't, even, I can't, couldn't even imagine Alan being a dean of a college, right, when he was in the valley. But apparently, he was very popular as a teacher. So there was a movement to get Alan moved up uh, to the deanship, and there was kind of this political thing going on at the school. There were pro-career people and pro-Taniguchi people, right? Wow. So there was a little bit of a battle going on there, and I can kind of see where uh, it. Well, a lot of the guys that were there, or a lot of the teachers that were there when you were there were pro-career, but then Alan brought in his new bunch of people from Berkeley and from Penn, you know, the mm -hmm. kind of all the hippie and all the hip generation <laughs> teachers and all that, and the students just loved him, and you know, uh, the trees, the deal about the trees, Alan was outspoken about the war, he was very, he was more than just teaching architect, he became kind of a real social activist at that time, Yeah. so it's it just went kind of like practicing in Harlan to John coming to Austin and then all this stuff just exploded and he went he I mean he was all over the place and his practice kind of you know suffered a little bit I'd say from that mm -hmm. or his potential practice so what did he did he teach design that would be my guess yeah yeah he taught studios he always uh -huh. taught right. design studios yeah. in fact I'm in touch with some of the people that were in his classes you know some of them worked at TSVM, his firm uh, from 1968 to 73 that was here. I think I've told you it was one of the more, uh, it was the most popular firm. That's where everybody wanted to work when they graduated mm -hmm. from UT. Taniguchi Sheffelman, backer and mentor. And um, he, during, during that time, they, he actually moved to Houston when you met him. And he still had the TSVM office, I think, at that time. Well, and he left in 72, a very sad day for us students. <laughs> oh, here? You were still here? Yeah. Oh, then when did you go back to Houston then, and y'all got reunited in Houston? I went to work for the city of Houston in 75, and I worked about two and a half years, and then he called me, and so I went okay. to work for him about 77. Okay, so the Weiss College was done under the TSVM banner. The Weiss yeah. College, you remember that? Mm -mm. Oh, you don't remember the Weiss College at Rice? One of the college houses, the one that had the glass box with the kind of the barrel vault, and you could see the big trusses running through. It was built between two buildings. It was an infill. I, it sounds familiar, but I never okay. worked on it. Okay, well that was while he was still uh, with TSVM. Okay. So that was right before I think he joined, before he separated and became Alan Taniguchi Architects and whatever. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So what was the question now, what we were talking about before um, we got off on the tangent? About, about, you know, it's all tied together so much. I mean, it's the practice and the academia and everything else. Yeah. But I think there's a question in there about what projects. I mean, are we over, are we finished with more of the academic part of this career? Yeah, is I there think so. Else? The next question is kind of how you fit in, like when you started helping out and working in the firm and. Uh, well, you know, I started out. I mean, 
I was born in an architect's office. So okay. <laughs> it all kind of started in Harlingen. I mean, even when we were in grade school, we, my brother and I would help build models. I think I've told you this. I'd do the blueprints. We, we kind of just grew up in the office because Alan just loved to work so much. Him and Leslie would do all-nighters all the time, so we'd end up just sleeping on the couch or on the floor or staying up with him, you know, at the office. So I, I was very used to that kind of stuff. In fact, I'm surprised I went into architecture after, <laughs> after knowing how much work it is <laughs> and how much little reward. But I actually kind of started with him uh, more professionally in 1978, I think is when he mm -hmm. kind of came back to Austin and opened up his office here. And I think that's when you and I would work together at the Prairie Brooks building. Yes. That's the first practice he had after TSBM and after he moved to Houston, I mean, to Austin from Houston. So you kind of saw how that evolved. I mean, mm -hmm. I kind of just started out, and, you know, did whatever needed to be done. And But I thought know. I remembered working with you in Houston. Yes, I, I, I did. I did come to Houston in the summertime. We were working on that Manila competition. Oh, okay. And, and that was back in the days of Gary Ashford. Yes. Which I can hardly remember. And I tried, well... Anyway, that's kind of, I came down there to help with that competition, some to okay. put that together. But I was actually living here. And then when he moved here, then I kind of went to work with him up there at the Perry Brooks with you. And I think right. we were working with the Wooldridge group mm -hmm. and the Fulmore group and kind of working with some of the old TSBM partners, Tom Sheffelman, Jim, Jim Nix, Juan Cotera. Um, Cliff Kenninger Cliff, was there. Yeah. Uh, Roger Kohler, was he part of the... I think so. Okay, Roger was at TSVM also. Gerard Kennedy was at TSVM, but I don't think he was part of the Wooldridge group. No. Where he's at. So, and Bob Coffey, you remember Bob Coffey was part of the Wooldridge group, Coffey and Cryer. Laura David was there. Uh huh, working for Tom, right? No, she was working for Cotera. Laura she worked David. for Tom, I think. No, she worked for she uh, Cotera, yeah, because I think Raymond worked for Juan for a long time too, didn't he? Raymond? No, no, it's another interview. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> to untangle all these yeah, Well, I and never people. knew Laura. You know, I didn't know Laura went to Rice until she, until I got to know her pretty well when mm -hmm. we were all working together. I don't know if she was there when Alan was there. So. Probably. Yeah, okay. But yeah, you remember, I mean, that was the, that was the Wooldridge group slash the Fulmore group. Yes. Okay, and then that went on till I guess you left in what seven did you say you left in I left in 80 80 because I thought you worked in this building I did yeah but we bought this building in 82 so did you come back we bought this building in 1982 and remodeled it for about a year and a half so I think you moved in right when I took a leave of absence from the Perry Brooks building and I was doing the construction over here and then we barely had it finished, and then you came back over here, and we were sitting in the back room, right? Yeah, I was only there a few months, before, I think. And then David came and worked here, too. And I went to Graber Simmons and Cowan. But then David came over here, and your husband. David came. Your then husband. David Ray. Yeah, David Ray came here. And he worked here for about, what, a year and a half? I think mm -hmm. so. Yeah. So that, yeah, that was 1982 when we moved in, or we actually bought up this place so we didn't start working here till 83 I'm pretty sure we bought it in 81 man I can't remember I should have done some more homework but anyway it was 80s though it was the yes. early 80s and then 
And then I guess we did the, the biggest, probably the most prestigious project was the U.S. Embassy, mm -hmm. which we got in 1984 or 85. That was during a bad depression, I think. I mean, I think we were wondering what we were going to do, mm -hmm. keep our doors open. And all of a sudden, the embassy lands here, and that kept us busy for six years. And that was because oh. O'Neill Ford was on the selection committee, along with Cesar Pelli and some other folks, and they had chosen Alan of all people. You know, we had like a five-person firm, and they selected us to do the U.S. Embassy in Georgetown, Guyana. And that was right before, or right after Jim Jones had moved his mm -hmm. cult down to Guyana and they had all drunk the Kool-Aid. And it was, that, those were exciting times. I think that's probably the most prestigious project we've ever worked on. And it's probably the one where I've learned the most. Um, it was interesting because Alan and I worked very closely on that one um, until Alan decided he didn't like to visit Guyana very much because he didn't like the food, he didn't like, he didn't, he didn't drink much, you know. So I would go to, on the trips, and I, I must have gone to Guyana uh, 12 to 15 times wow. representing the office and uh, working or supervising a um, Department of State project. Mm -hmm. That was the first year that they had the new security guidelines because of the Moscow Embassy. You remember that when they found sure. all the bugs and stuff? So ours was the first one built under the new guidelines. So. They were really strict about it, but um, I think that's kind of where Alan and I really worked closely together. We had huge deadlines. I think we, we had hired up to six or eight people at that time to keep up with the project. So, uh, wow. yeah, after that, then I was, I said, let's go back to the old days and I had three or four folks. So how big was the embassy? Do you remember square footage wise approximately? Uh, it wasn't that large. It was three stories. It had a lot of security. Uh, it had a attic that was full of their security equipment. I can't remember how large it was, Tony, but it was probably about, I'd say, 8,000, 9,000 square feet. Not all that big, yeah. but a lot of concrete. But complicated. Very complicated, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So let's talk about some of the Austin architects that Alan worked or partnered with. We've named a few, but just for the record. Yeah. How do you think they met or became partners? Well, the first one was, um, well, most of them were through school. Tom Shuffleman was probably the first one that he met. And I think along with that was Bob Harris. I think mm -hmm. Bob Harris was part of the group at one time. Uh, the first, uh, first firm Alan had here after he moved from Harlingen. And um, then he met those guys, Walter Vacker and Mentor. But, like I said, in the meantime, he'd been working for Brooks Bar, Graver and White, on the labor building. So he actually did work with quite a few people, associated with quite a few architects in Austin. Mm -hmm. um, not, some of the, some, not some of the more uh, longtime guys, like Farron Granger. He was good friend, good buddies with all those guys, but they never really worked together. But not the Pages or the Jessons? No, no, never, or... no, no, we never worked together with those guys. Yeah, but I think... That's when academia kind of took the top role. Mm -hmm. I think Alan kind of just shifted away from professional practice and concentrated more on that, especially when he was a dean. He really didn't have time to do anything else. Sure. Um, well, Juan Cotera, like we had mentioned earlier. Can't think of anybody else, really. Okay. 
back to the move from Austin down to Houston, we didn't really mm-hmm. talk much about what at Rice drew him away from UT Austin. Why did he go down there? Oh, I don't think he was that attracted to Rice. I think he was just fed up with Austin. You know, he resigned here. I mean, he didn't just give up. He, did, he resigned because of his uh, problems with the Board of Regents. And that had been going on for, for years, you know. I think the school actually suffered from his relationship with Frank Irwin because uh, Irwin was the chairman of the board mm-hmm. and the board would appropriate the funds to the different colleges, right? So Alan was always left out or he was always on the bottom of the list. And, but I think at that time, I think his students appreciated it because back then we, the school wasn't so materially oriented. I think it was more politically and socially uh, motivated. So, you know, Alan's stand is supporting the Waller Creek tree deal his stand against the war. I think those were kind of appropriate for that time, but they didn't do the school that much mm-hmm. good as far as the, the material or the as far as the physical plant goes. Yeah. So what did he do when he went down to Rice? Was he teaching or was he, he was out, he was a director actually. And I think um, somebody from Florida was the, the dean. So he was teaching, I guess. I don't, I don't really know a whole lot about what was going on when it was in Houston. Because I was in school at that time too. Mm-hmm. You were in school here. Yeah, because I, I didn't get in. I didn't enroll in the school of architecture till he left, and that was on purpose. Really? Oh you know, yeah. That was on yeah. purpose. Of course, I didn't want. <laughs> I want to get special treatment, or I found out that it's not special treatment you get. They have such high expectations of you. It was even tougher, you know. So maybe it would have been better if I would have taken advantage of him being here to help me. You could have gone to another school. Yeah, but th- this was Austin at that time. Yeah, I was more interested in the Austin life than the school life at that time, as you well know. <laughs> okay. Are there any contractors that you recall that Alan worked closely with, or that he, in, you know, enjoyed working with? Um, well, we didn't really do that many projects in Austin, now right. that I think about it, you know? Sure. I mean, we worked on the schools and the courthouse. Those contractors, he didn't have that much of a relationship. He had really good relationship with the uh, contractors in the valley when he had all those concrete jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had like three or four jobs going on at once. And, you know, he became good friends with those guys. But back then it was different. You know, the contractor and the architect were, they, they uh, well, they didn't battle as much. They appreciated each other a little bit more. It wasn't such a business. Sure. It was respect mm-hmm. for what you knew and for what what type of craftsman you were. You know, back in those days, the contractor would actually go out there and do some work, right? Instead of just get on his phone and be a broker. So I think back then it was uh, it was pretty cool growing up and seeing that relationship. I call mm-hmm. it the old school, right? Everything's changed with the computer, and now it's just all business. I mean, it's lawyers and contractors and architects, you know, it's mm-hmm. just so much different. But Alan used to enjoy that. They'd go dove hunting, they'd go fishing. Um, so he'd be out in the field with the contractor. Oh, absolutely, because because nobody could figure out how to build this, these concrete <laughs> uh, domes or whatever they are, par- parabolic uh, roofs. So Alan would be out there on the job site a lot, and he really liked that part of it. And I, yeah, I got the impression he really liked. Well, you know, you know, Alan. I mean, we can talk about this part because you were you you you've been around him. He he liked nothing more than to sit down 
and work out details like a full size scale or you know three inches equals a foot but man he was the best detailer in the world he, he knew how to make things work you know mm -hmm. he's the first person that told me the story about never use brick if it doesn't come down to the ground he couldn't stand like a uh, something that was the brick started out on the second oh. story man he did every time he saw that he'd bring it up and I was kind of shocked that he was just so you know kind of critical in that sense just wasn't natural no but he was uh, he knew his materials really well mm -hmm. and he didn't like brick very much for that reason I think but when he got into the concrete thing gosh he he, he just went overboard I mean he loved the idea of you know uh, using the less reinforcing and getting the most strength out of concrete and that you can, and he liked the looks of it back then. You know, he was one of the first people I know that uh, told me about board form concrete, and we did use that on the Clarksville Clinic over there, which mm -hmm. still has that, which still looks nice that they had painted it, the, painted it the colors that they did. And did you, by the way, did you know that's still the most energy efficient building, uh, city building in Austin? No. Yeah. Well, half of it's, know. well, three quarter of it's underground, so. That's true. Yeah, yeah. so it stays pretty cool. But yeah, that's, that was Alan. He was a huge detail. He loved construction. So that's kind of what threw me when, you know, all of a sudden he decided he was going to go up to the university every day and yeah, sit in an office, office and talk to students. <laughs> yeah. I wonder where he got that love of detailing. Maybe it was that first job uh -huh. where he was a draftsperson. Well, or... it was building, It was yeah, that. And then it was coming to the valley like a year and a half after that and actually designing the house and building it himself. He, he built those oh, for my grandfather in our house. He actually helped build the houses himself, okay. right? And he hired some of the uh, of the workers down there. Mm -hmm. And that's when he got to be good friends with a lot of the contractors, you know? And the ones that he liked, he would hire, and they became good friends because they appreciated each other. Hands-on mm -hmm. kind of a thing, right? Right. Yeah, he was a very hands-on type person. Okay. So... Maybe we'll go to this question about projects that he did here in Austin, Travis County. Well, I think we talked about the clinic, the Clarksville uh -huh. Clinic. And did we do another city project at that time? I think you were involved in most of the ones that we did with him, except for the embassy. We did the Fulmore, do you remember? Addition to Fulmore. Addition to Fulmore. We did all that work at the Travis County Courthouse. That, I think that was after you, that was that, when David was here. I was kind of in charge of all those with Cliff. Cliff was here at that time too. Uh, lots of remodeling on the old courthouse. And then we did the new annex. Remember the one that's mm -hmm. behind there? And then we did the little fountain that's in, kind of in the middle. He did, he, he did a project with Donna Carter. And I can't remember who else the other firm was. The uh, Willie Kasurik Elementary. Okay. Were you part, did you work on that one? Mm -hmm. oh, Ruth Partial. I think it was Ruth Parshall, Donna, and Alan. And, oh, the, some of the TSVM stuff probably sticks out the best. The Manchaca Library. Oh, yes. The Ranch Library. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the nicest. Uh, I think that's still one of the nicest buildings in Austin. Um, and I've that heard was, some people in the library department say that's their favorite. Oh, I know John Gillum is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's his he, favorite. He, John Gillum has really been great. He's he's tried to preserve it as much as he can. I know that they, they added something onto the front entry, but he always liked that as a piece of architecture. So mm -hmm. he's been probably the biggest proponent of kind of keeping it intact. But um, there were a lot of things we did, uh, TSBM did out 
Um, they had a contract with uh, Highland Lakes Estates. Do you remember seeing some of those? The mm -hmm. Petternalis Country Club yes. that Willie Nelson has now. We did some work at Point Venture, uh, Chaparral. We did a lot of those kind of the country club kind of stuff and resorts kind of around the Highland Lakes. That probably is what kept TSVM in business. They also did some speculative duplexes, um, mainly under the wing of Walter Vacker. Walter Vacker was a really good designer too. He, he might have studied under Gropius or something, but he was into the white modern look and a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff. TSVM, kind of like that library, is kind of his mm -hmm. his kind of a look. His oh, signature. Yes, kind of. Yeah. So he kind of brought that style into the office. I think Alan helped a lot with kind of the detailing because Alan was a big concrete, you know, expert. So that building is all concrete. It's all tilt up. Right. And that's kind of what Alan really enjoyed doing was working out those technologies to so work with the architect. Which came first, the Clarksville Clinic or the library? The library. The library was like 73. The Clarksville Clinic was more like uh, 83. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought we did another project when we were doing the Clarksville Clinic. I can't remember. There weren't all that many, though, in Austin. And then he did a couple in Houston with you. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the parks, two parks, and then he did that project at Rice, the Weiss College. There were a few residences around Austin, right? Uh-huh, a few, but nothing like down in the valley. That's why I said, he, you know, he, most of his notable work to me was down in the valley mm -hmm. that he did back in the 50s, the late 50s. Okay. Well, we've talked about Alan was really active politically. I'm curious, did he serve on any boards, commissions? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he was on one of the, er the planning commission for, I think, two terms. Uh, Charlie Betts still remembers. I think Charlie was might have served with him one time. Charlie was in his 20s and Alan was probably in his 40s or 50s. Yeah, so, and then Alan was, uh, you were around at that time, he was on the uh, Save the kind of top the capital views quarter deal. Oh, okay. He was in charge of that with uh, Robert Barnstone, I believe, and I can't remember. He was on the board of Houston Tillotson uh, College. I took over when he passed away in '98. He was on the board for two two terms um, with the city. I know he was. I know he did some more stuff, but I can't really. What about what about remember? Town Lake and the. Um, well, you know, that was actually a commission job. He, that, well, that, well, I forgot to mention that. That's yeah. not a building project. But yeah, that's yeah. probably his biggest claim to fame in Austin. 1960 or 61, he was commissioned, his firm was commissioned to do the hike and bike, the first Town Lake master plan. So it was actually a project. Oh, yeah. And the mm -hmm. hike and bike trail is actually the one, the, the way it was on his master plan is the way it is, is now. Wow. Yeah. Because didn't I never tell you the stories about we used to go fishing down where the new Austin High is before any of these roads were in here this this street wasn't even paved so you'd have to park someplace over here by El Arroyo and you'd have to walk down through all this brush to go fishing there was a fishing hole down down there that you we used to mm -hmm. he, he used to love fishing we walked down there Bubba and uh, Alan and I would walk down there and he'd point out to us he said look you see all this land over here? He said, this is going to be a hike and bike trail. And we said, sure. <laughs> you couldn't even see through all the brush and stuff. Um, but he had visualized all that, and his original plan is 
how the hike and bike trail developed. Um, he was a great friend of, um, um, what was her name at that time? It was later, uh, Crenshaw. But Roberta. Roberta, yeah, Quint, but before she got married to the Crenshaws, she was really involved in the trail with Lady Bird mm -hmm. uh, under a different name. But uh, they became really good friends. And of course, Lady Bird knew my grandfather and, and, and wanted Alan to help do the trail thing too. So he was really involved in that. That was in the 60s. And then he had two planters from San Antonio who were O'Neill Ford's best friends, uh, Sam Zisman and um, Stuart King. They were the planners back in those oh, days okay. for, for this project. And then, you know, he later, he worked on the, well, we won an award for the original Waller Creek plan, which he did with uh, Myrick Dahlberg out of Dallas. Myrick Newman Dahlberg. Uh-huh, mm -hmm. who is now, I think, an offshoot of, um, there's one of the guys here is an offshoot of them. Um, RBI, Bob Richardson used to be with them. Oh, okay. And they won an award with that, and I think Sinclair might have been on that team. Tom Shelfman did some beautiful sketches of the original Waller Creek plan. And then I think Alan worked with Sinclair on the Creeks plan, something about mm -hmm. the Austin Creeks. That little publication. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So yeah, you, you, yeah, mm -hmm. I didn't bring, I wasn't thinking about planning projects, but yeah. He the, did a lot in planning. Oh yeah, yeah, he mm -hmm. did. Yeah, I, I forgot all about mm -hmm. that. Okay. Can you summarize what you think were the highlights of Alan's career from his perspective, maybe? Looking back, what would he have, if he were sitting here, what would he say? If he were sitting here, he probably, well, you know, he was such a humble guy and so quiet. It would be hard to drag it out of him. <laughs> it's easier to try to get it out of me, but, you know, I think he probably has, most of his notoriety was as, a, as the dean of his academic days, you know. I mm -hmm. think that if, if, if there's a legacy there, that's probably it through, through the University of Texas. Uh, I don't think Rice kind of enters into that picture, but... And also his early years, I think his the 1950s, you know, mm -hmm. his work in the valley. I think people always remember that. I mean, that's getting to be that's that's history now. I mean, really history. That's 50, over 50 years ago. Um, his days here in Austin as an architect. I think in Austin he probably is known more for his planning projects, because mm -hmm. as I said, I don't think we have that many projects that he built here. So I would say that most people. Well, most people don't even realize that he was the planner for the hike and bike trail. No, yeah, I think people. they associate it with Lady Bird. Yeah, but and that's kind of it. Uh huh. But they did have to have a commit. They did have to have a design. Uh, they had to have yeah a <laughs> consultant, and it was him. And it's funny. There's a public. I have to send it to you. It was published in the uh, in the uh, Texas Architect magazine back then. A beautiful map that Alan Holt had sent me. And I'm trying to get another copy of that. But oh, nice. se several people in Sinclair, when people kind of argue about Alan being the original designer of that, Sinclair always says he knows for sure because he, he's had lots of discussions with Alan. And Sinclair will confirm that, yes, Alan was the designer of the hiking bike trail. Good. Good for yeah. Sinclair. Yeah. Oh, that, Sinclair and Alan were really close. I mean, that's another name we didn't bring up at UT. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Alan, uh, Sinclair... Looks at Alan as his mentor. 
Sinclair was younger by oh yeah yeah oh, a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah was he in school when Alan oh yeah went yeah uh huh he was in school then it, most of the time he was at Berkeley though see Sinclair mm-hmm. went to Berkeley that's kind of funny that Sinclair was getting his masters at Berkeley when Alan was here and Alan had been there and Sinclair had been here so they had and, that bond and that's where Alan actually hired Richard Dodge from uh, from Berkeley and I think Gerlinda if I'm not uh-huh. mistaken, yeah. So yeah, they were young when they came. Oh, they were here. young. Yeah, <laughs> you, you saw that picture I sent you. Yes. That 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 should go in with the uh, that should go in the archives somewhere, not just because the architects, but because a lot of people had the you know that picture I showed you sent mm-hmm. you of the uh, faculty. That's pretty cool because you see a lot of people there: Richard Swallow, Owen Kaplan, well, Carl Burke was. Send us a copy. A lot of we'll, people. A lot of people. Yeah. We'll put it in learned there. Learned learned into them. Okay, the next question is about how Alan approached design, uh, mm-hmm. whether or not he had a, a process, or when he got a new project, mm-hmm. what was the first thing he thought about. Mm-hmm. Was he a sketcher? Did he go mm-hmm. right to those details? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think you know. I mean, I think he went to the... Oh, and we did the two houses here, too, that he won some... Those are probably what he might be best known for in Austin, are the Carroll House and the Van Earth House. Okay. Did we do those while you were here? You know, one of them's on the lake, and it looks down. It's got I think solar think they collector. were in the beginning Gary stages. Ashford worked on those. Mm-hmm. He, that's one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so anyway, Alan wasn't much of a sketcher. He was more, he, he, he worked more in detail. I mean, I think when he, he knew materials and, and how things went together really well. So he wasn't like a Frank Gehry kind of person that just saw a mass, you know. He didn't crumple a piece of paper no, and he throw didn't do it that. on the table. But I don't think he really looked at the, he didn't see the building as a built object. I think he started kind of from the inside and worked out in what evolved. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he had a lot of Japanese, he still yes. appreciated this inside-outside relationship a lot. And a lot of people have commented on that. And I think that's where it kind of started was how it was situated, where it was situated on the site. I think he was way ahead of his time as far as uh, sustainability goes. You know, mm-hmm. you always think about the shadows and about the shading and, and about the mechanical, that kind of stuff. And I think the building, his his buildings are more kind of like a machine, you know, more of a kind of industrial approach. Very simple is what I recall. Oh, very very simple, yeah, yeah. As simple as it could be. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it took, and then he he had the he loved the roofs, you know, the the shed roofs and all this. But Mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. Very simple. Except for the embassy, which had to look. It had to fit into a historical neighborhood, right. so we had to make it look like a British colonial building. Tell me about a typical day for Alan coming to the office here. Uh, you were here, so yeah, this is a typical day for Alan. Of course, before I tell you, you kind of you come in about ten o'clock, or you know nine o'clock, and first thing you do is smoke a cigarette back on the back porch, smoke a cigarette, and then kind of get a couple of co- cups of coffee. Then you go to the bathroom, you know, about uh, every day, you know, about 11 o'clock or 11.30, about when lunch was When ready. everyone's leaving for lunch. <laughs> it was right. Then he'd start getting energized, but then he'd want to go to lunch too, or he'd bring his lunch here. And so he ate his lunch, all this was, he, so he got nothing done in the morning. And then he'd bring his dog with him too, so, you know, get the dog situated. 
nothing get but then he was always here like till ten o'clock at night. You know, so, hey, why don't you just get started a little earlier and then you can leave like at six and he said, Well, I don't want to go home and see mom. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, they were, they were well, completely opposite. But no, the, yeah, that's kind of Alan. I mean, while you were here, it was kind of like that. Later on, he, he really did lose interest in architecture for some reason or lost interest in the practice. I mean, I think yeah. after that after that embassy building, I think that wore him out. After that, I was kind of in charge of everything, you know, so I could say I probably took over the office in like 92, 93, and then he passed away in 98, and then I had to take it over, mm -hmm. right? But um, after him, you know, I, I understood that he wasn't all that interested in business, you know? He wow. spent more of his time on the committee, you know, planning commission, and like after the embassy, you know, I can't, then we started, I started looking for other kind of work because mm -hmm. he wasn't going to go out and look for anything. You know, we really didn't start doing UT projects till after he passed away. We were actually working on that uh, parking garage with David Ray um, in 98 when he, when Alan passed away, we were just finishing up the working documents. So he didn't even get to see that one through, but that was the first UT project we ever had. So from 92 to when he passed away, I he did. would come to the office every day, I take it. Yeah, and more. And you could consult with him or. Yeah, or fight with him or, yeah, or, or yeah. Mm -hmm. Mainly he came here so he could bring tofu with him, the dog. You remember we had two dogs, right? I Chico, Chico was the. I remember Chico. Chihuahua, man, that he just loved. I mean, he'd bring him to work every day. And my mother, I mean, my mother would bring Chico or he would. And then we had a dog named Tofu. She'd come every day. Tofu was bigger? A little bit bigger, but white. Yeah, not all that much bigger. But, oh, Cliff fell in love with Chico. Yeah. He, I he, remember. He, yeah, so. So that was kind of, the reason he come to work was bring the dogs. <laughs> yeah, that's, but I, get I, out I, of I the do, house. I do think he, I, I do think he lost interest for some reason after like 92 or 93. Yeah. And then the other reason he'd come to the office was because Leslie wouldn't let him smoke at home. So he could come over here and he'd smoke on the back deck. I see. But, you know, some of the more important things in life. Yes. <laughs> well, let's see. How old was he when he passed away? Uh, 22 to 22 to 98. 76. 76. Uh -huh. You know, Leslie didn't even reach 70. Oh, I didn't and realize then, yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, she kept saying she didn't want to live past 70. I think she died like two two months before she became 70. I think. And she passed away in California, uh -huh. right? Yeah. July 5th, we were watching the we were watching the fireworks over the Golden Gate Bridge from her from her hospital room right before she passed away. Oh. Yeah. So y'all were out there with her. Yeah, we were out there. She had had a mass, massive stroke and she was she never pulled out of her coma. Oh, but, okay. but we were there, yeah. She was visiting her sister, wasn't mm -hmm. she? Somewhere? Which she did every year in the summer. Leslie okay. couldn't stand the Texas heat, oh. especially as she got older. Let's see. Do you know of any, there may not be any, but do you know of any projects that just didn't come to fruition that Alan would have loved to have 
gotten or worked on or or you worked on it and then it didn't ever happen? Yeah. Um, well, one especially, and I'm not sure if you were here, but that one we did the ha we did the house for the owner of the Continuum Corporation. It was the white the Boxy White House, and then they had bought some land over on Bull Creek Road, mm -hmm. kind of where that little swimming hole is right. uh, off of 2222. Really nice property, and we were commissioned to to uh, do the design on that. And that were you here then? No. When we did those two buildings that were kind of uh, posed like this, mm -hmm. really nice. And, and Gary was still here at that time, and it was they're really like they were like machines, you know, in a sense, very mm -hmm. sustainable. They had all the. You remember Gary was into all the, the collect, solar collectors and all the passive yes, stuff at right. that time. So this was going to be a showcase for that kind of stuff. And Alan and him and I worked really closely. It was actually a really nice design. It was turned down because of some of the neighborhoods that lived up above mm -hmm. on Cat Mountain. Or, you know, looking down on the Looking solar. down on the... Yeah, looking down on the... Which sounds ridiculous now, but... But yeah, but that was back then. That was probably yeah, 1982, was... 83, 84. That's one of the projects that we really wish would have happened because mm -hmm. that could have moved us forward as far as... Because we weren't really doing much. At, you know, we were just doing schools and kind of remodeling. We didn't really have any new construction new. to show off. Yeah, so that was probably That's the one bad. that hurt, hurt the most. Mm -hmm. Did it get redesigned by someone else? No, it's still not. No, no, nothing's built. been done on that property. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, completely outside of architecture, was there anything that Alan was fascinated by? You think fishing? Well, he liked to go fishing. I, he liked fishing, but you know, Alan, Alan was he was quite. And I, I think he probably knew this. I, I don't think he had any real friends outside of the profession. He was pretty uh, single-minded. Very single-minded. He liked to go home, and he liked to he liked to putter around the house. He was a DIY guy, right, mm -hmm. at that time, and he loved to kind of like remodel the inside of our house on Wooldridge. Uh, he liked to cook and grill outside, but he, I I can't you know even growing up he wasn't interested in the sports and stuff. My mother was the one that kind of took care of. Uh, Bubba and I, because Alan at that time when we really were at that age when we were playing sports and all, he was the dean. He was traveling all over the mm -hmm. place uh, as the dean. So, uh, yeah, I can't remember anything really. Can you? No, not really. He, he didn't I remember like, his cooking. I remember yeah, going he, he to his to house yeah, and him serving me my first experience with dandelion greens. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, I remember the Danlight Greens, but, you know, if it wasn't for Leslie, then he, he, he probably would have, yeah, he, Leslie threw the parties and made mm -hmm. Alan work, cook, right? Other, Alan wouldn't have gone out of his way to throw a party, ever. He, he just wasn't yeah. a party person. So. Did they ever go to Japan? Yeah, they did. They went with, uh, I'm not sure if you were here, they went with Frank Cooksey when oh. Frank was the mayor. They were part of the delegation for the light rail train. They were, went to Japan to look at the rail systems there mm -hmm. because the city was proposing the one between here and San Antonio. So Alan got to travel in, in that delegation. Um, and then Alan went with Grandpa once, but without my mother. And my mother would go with her sister, but without Alan. So okay. 
Yeah, they, they usually went by themselves or with somebody else when they went. But they did go together that one time. How did they meet? At school? You know, they really don't talk. Yeah, at school, Leslie actually was enrolled in, in at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. Of course, Leslie was so much different. She came from a, um, a merchant family. You know, her her parents went to college and they, they were musicians and they owned a very successful gift store in Japantown, San Francisco, uh, right when the war broke out too. Whereas Alan's parents never been to the city hardly, right? They were always on the farm, mm -hmm. you know, even in, in Japan, they grew up in the ag agricultural area, they didn't go to college. And so they were completely different. So uh, it's always surprised me how they met. I can't even imagine what the event was, but they did meet at uh, Cal mm -hmm. uh, somehow. And um, that's, that's about all I know. So yeah. Leslie's parents, were born in Japan also? Or they were uh -huh, born? Yeah, they were born in Japan. Uh -huh. Yeah. Just to say something, just, you know, to pr put perspective into it, they were Catholics. So they were from Japan, but they were more, you know, they were Catholics, so yeah. that says something. They were more like capitalists, too. I mean, they, whereas my, my Taniguchi family is more from the dirt, from the earth, right? Mm -hmm. And they were strict Buddhists and all this. So it was, it was quite a... Uh, Quite a mixture. It was a mixture. Well, Allen encouraged and influenced many architectural students and young architects in his lifetime. Are there any of them that you would like to name or mention or talk about? Um, yeah, there's one that I would like to mention, and that's uh, Fred Clark, mm -hmm. who's now principal with Pelly Clark Pelly. And Fred was actually a junior here in, I think, 1965 or 6. He was a junior here while Alan was a dean. So maybe it was 68. And Pelly had come down for one of the uh, juries. They call them juries back then, right? Mm -hmm. What do we call them now? Anyway, he, he, was a, he came down here for a design jury, and he saw Fred's stuff, and immediately... Uh, Caesar Pelly was overwhelmed, oh. and he went up to Alan and said, uh, "This guy's really talented. Uh, what if I what if I hire him and take him out of school?" And Alan said, "Well, you know, you need to talk to Fred first. So he Pelly hired him right there on the spot, I believe, and uh, took him out of school for three years. Wow. Fred came back and then got his got, finished his degree." And then look where he is now. I mean, he's uh, yeah. principal of one of the most famous firms in the country. And, and actually, Fred, in appreciation, he started a scholarship for Alan and for Carl Berkowitz. Those are his two mm -hmm. favorites. And Fred and I stay in touch because I'm on the Dean's Advisory Council, and he, he is also. So when he's here in town, uh, he, he stops by our meetings. But yeah, that that was that's that's the one that I heard most of. Um, Alan really liked a lot of the other. He he kind of liked the, the the quieter people, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, even like Dale Weeding. You remember Dale? Yes. He worked. I mean, Alan loved. Alan felt so bad. Or I'm not sure it felt bad for Dale, but he hired him for a long time, even against my my better judgment. I said, Come on, Alan, let's get real. And he just wanted to help Dale out. Because he was, Alan was more of that type of person. He liked the underdog. 
he, he liked to help anybody who was kind of uh, struggling. Struggling, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, like like getting like getting a puppy dog off the street or something. But Dale was one of the things I, I could never figure it out. But of course, Dale loved Alan to death too because mm -hmm. everybody was his dean at that. Yeah, I think that y'all went to school at the same time. Dale and I are still friends. Yeah. Is he still around? I think so. Oh, okay. I think that's the same okay. Dale. Yeah, yeah, the it sketcher. Is. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Everything's been, been over. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I need to get his time. But anyway, Alan didn't speak too much about anybody else, but the Fred Clark story is the one. The person in my class that I remember him helping was Everett Fly. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Everett, he, yeah, he spoke very highly of Everett. I think he really helped Everett get into landscape school. Oh, yeah, but not only, not only helped him, but... He, he really liked Everett. Yeah. Yeah. Everett, Everett was very much like Alan in a sense, kind yes. of quiet, kind of very humble, right? right? And I think I just got. Did you hear that Everett just won the National Humanities Award or something? Yes. Huh? Yes. And he got I'm his so, award from Obama. I know. I yeah. was so proud. I left him a voice message, but he didn't call me back. But yeah, I said Alan would be really proud of this. I need to get his number from you so I can congratulate him. Yeah. I didn't know how to get in touch with yeah, him. Yeah, I have his phone number. I'll okay. send it over. Yeah, but Everett, and Everett actually uh, had the room in the back over here for a while. I remember that. Barbara and, mm -hmm. and Everett, and I think that Alan let him have that room, let him mm -hmm. use it for nothing just to get him started. But that was a tremendous story, you know. His mom was a uh, was a maid, right, in right. Alamo Heights, and and Everett was a great football player in high school. And Alan even called Daryl up to say, "Hey, can you give this guy an opportunity to try out? You know, he needs a scholarship." Yeah, but so. he didn't play. Everett didn't play football that I knew. Not at UT, no, no. no. I think he found. I think Alan found him a scholarship, but mm -hmm. he was going to try to get him a football scholarship because that was the only thing left. <laughs> yeah, not you Ever know. It wasn't that big. <laughs> no, he was, he was really fast, good, but he was really good in high school. He was a, yeah. one of the top uh, high, backs in uh, San Antonio. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, Everett was one of Alan's favorites for sure, definitely. What do you think was Alan's favorite building anywhere in the world? And then. Did he have a favorite in Austin? Not necessarily his, but it could well, be. Well, back then, I mean, there was nothing in Austin. Well, it was hardly anything still, but he, he, didn't, he didn't really have favorites, but he did have his favorite architect was Frank Lloyd Wright, okay. because Alan had actually tried to go to uh, Taliesin West. He had enrolled there, and something had happened. It was, you know, it was right during the times when, after mm -hmm. the war when everything, you know, he, he just couldn't make any decisions, but he was going to enroll there because he had always been in awe of Frank Lloyd mm -hmm. Wright and to the building that he might have liked. You know, I think he really liked a lot of uh, uh, Mies van der Rohe's buildings because they're kind of I like, you know, that. very technical. They look like machines in a sense. They're very well detailed, very simple, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like what we just talked about. But uh, he, he wasn't into gaudy stuff. I mean, not, not gaudy, but just, you know, no. he, wasn't in, he hated postmodernism. I think that's what kind of, he, he was a good friend of Charles Moore's, but he, he liked Charles Moore back in the Sea Ranch days, you know, uh, not so much the, the, the postmodern stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's my last question. 
Is there anything we didn't talk about that you would like to add at this point? Mm-hmm. Nothing I can remember. I mean, it kind of all just goes around and around. But I don't think there's anything else I can think of right now. I'm kind of like an hour, I'm kind of a little drained. Okay, well, we'll call it the end. I, I was just going to say it's fun uh, talking about a little bit more than architecture because it's like there's more than just architecture sure. and projects you work on, you know. So yeah. I think in that respect it was, it was very nice. Well, thank you. Thank you.